0: Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are your independent Fulham audio life support machine. And tonight we'll be discussing how Fulham set many a heart racing in the wrong way on Saturday as we just about held on to secure a 2-2 draw against QPR in the West London Derby. A far from convincing performance by the Whites, but it still means that Fulham break the club record to claim a 16th game undefeated. And breathing life into the podcast tonight is Chief Heartbreaker Farrell Monk. Top of the morning to you. The stats doctor, Ben Jarman. Hello, listeners. And a man who's probably used a hospital bed many a times after a night out, it's Don Betts. Hello, hello. How you doing? Yeah, not bad. I haven't it's been on in ages. No, you haven't, actually. feels forever. Is that true? You've used a hospital bed after a night out? Well, mm, it was still part
1: of a night out, technically, so it wasn't after a night out. It was still, like...
2: Unless you took it with you in true student fashion.
1: Like, I think last I was in the hospital was, like, maybe, I don't know, probably months ago. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is about this right is this, this hospital is right next to where I went to university but I didn't end up, end up in there once when I went to uni went back to Harrow to have a few drinks and then I somehow ended up in there but I don't remember being in a hospital bed I just remember being in the middle of a hospital
0: and this is why we miss having Dom on the podcast. Yeah, exactly, Plenty to chat about tonight on Fulhamish. Uh, lots to discuss after the draw with QPR and what that means for our promotion and playoff chances. But first, we need to do some three-word reviews. You'll notice Secretary Jack Collins isn't here. So secretarial duties are being passed across the podcast tonight. And it is Farrell Monk's responsibility to look at what came in after QPR
2: whoop whoop Uh, so we've got Gordon at FFC Riverside is oh dear oh dear oh doy Um, (laughs) wait hang on (laughs) he's put oh dear as one word
0: oh right okay because I was going to say that's five words
2: yeah I I, I do work in finance and I used Excel to work out how many words there were okay well so um, we've got uh, Andrew Birch's uh, Fulham stopped playing David Gad's one bad performance, which I thought was a bit positive, and our friend Dean Jones with definition of
3: Fulhamish
0: Well, you said that that's very interesting that you bring up the definition of Fulhamish because there was that article during the rounds last week how uh, if Slavisa wins on Saturday that Fulhamish is no longer a relevant term and I didn't want it to come true but I said, trust me, Fulhamish will always be a thing and I think Saturday was very much proof of that Uh, We'll come to a few of those other points in just a second After I say that this season we are backed by Ladbrokes for exclusive specials and promotions head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk well, we prevailed from a tough match against QPR with a point. Ben, not the result or performance that we'd have wanted, but we're up to third and the unbeaten run does continue. So taken away from the performance, it's not the end of the world.
3: No, it's not the end of the world, but it will feel like a draw that felt like a defeat. Because in the first half, we were exemplary. We played some great football um, from times and we had a uh, near on 80% possession if you looked at the half time stats. Um, to a second half that was diabolical really uh, if we think about it in cynical fashion we didn't hold on to the ball well enough we didn't make any inroads and for the most part it was a game that was played within our first third in front of the keeper and it sort of overshadows the fact that we've gone 16 games unbeaten when you have a result that stings as much as that one does well and
0: also typical that after those 15 kind of glorious matches even the draws were pretty decent to be honest that Fulham have secured uh, ever since that Sunderland game this is the first real poor performance in that run Farrell and it's just such a shame that it happened to happen against QPR of all teams maybe apart from Brentford would I not have wanted that to happen against any other club
2: yeah absolutely um it, it's just it's just um, a bit weird, the performance, especially... I mean, Ben says we were really, really good. There was those odd moments uh, during the first half with a little bit of warning signs there might be a bad performance on its way, considering how many misplaced passes there were, very misplaced simple passes there were, um, from usually reliable people like Piazzon and McDonald.
3: But we never thought there would be such a collapse in the second half. When I spoke to you at half-time after I spotted you out of the stands... Um, oh, did you have a little that, reunion? Yeah, we had a little reunion at oh. half-time. We had a quick word with each other. Um, we <laughs> said like you sold him off. We said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We said that after the, after their goal, just before the half, that they could go in here and it could be a completely different game, second half. They looked like before that goal went in that they were just going to roll over. Mm. And we, we were all over the top of them. Um, but s- since we, we let in that goal at half-time, I said to Farrell, they've got They've got a glimmer of hope here. And they could come out a completely different side. And ultimately, they did. Yeah, I think that goal was
0: uh, hugely important for the game itself. We'll come on to that in a minute. You mentioned a good point, though, about how I don't think we were scintillating in the first half. I think we dominated the opening 20 minutes, Dom. But the fact that we found ourselves 2-0 up, I thought, was quite fortunate. And I thought maybe Fulham have got away with a not scintillating display, but here we are with 2-0 up and hopefully we would go on and cruise to a victory. Ultimately, uh, that wasn't what happened at all. Yeah, I think I think Holloway mentioned it, or maybe a QPR player mentioned it, they showed us too much
1: respect in the first half and I think that's mm. correct because they weren't pressing us at all like they did in the second half. And Yeah, I didn't think we were that good. I think the funniest thing that happened, obviously I didn't see the second goal because, you know, I was having a pint. But like I said, what, is, what was on doing the entire half? Like, he didn't contribute anything in the first half. Then two seconds later, he goes and scores a goal. But I just we weren't good in any respects in the game, really. I just thought QPR backed off too much in the first half. And that's why we had so much time on the ball and why we had all our chances. So I think in the second half, we just didn't turn up. We couldn't string like three passes together. And our, we just didn't know how to sort of... Combat QPR. It's not, not aggressive style of play, but just how they were pressing us so hard to pitch, and we didn't really know what to do. Obviously, the goal was going to come from a set piece, knocked down from Matt Smith. But I'm sorry, it's not a good finish. I'm not having an argument. What from Luongo? No, he's just not facing the goal and just sw- and just wacks his foot. It's not a good finish. <laughs> he's just lucky it goes in the corner and it looks or the back of the net and it looks like a good finish, but it's not. He just hits it and hopes, really, for me.
2: Well, well, it's got a good connection on it considering he had his back to goal. Well, give credit where credit's due. Um obviously he's just trying to get a good connection on it rather than actually place it near enough to the, you know, into the bottom corner, but a bit harsh to say that it was maybe slightly lucky, I would I would say. Aren't lots of good goals hit and hopes. I mean Kasami's
0: was a great goal, but there's a bit of a hit and he, he swings a leg at it.
2: Um... Definitely meant definitely
0: meant for the top <laughs> corner <laughs> all I'm saying is I don't think you could take it away from Luongo just because. No,
1: I would argue Piazon's finish is better because it's a yeah. lovely finish because he gives the keepers the eyes and puts yeah. it the other way
2: but Whereas I think, I think, Piazza, just, I think, I think if Piazon doesn't score from there I'd be thoroughly disappointed
1: no but he could have gone the way the keeper was going yeah. like, normally but he does, he does give the keeper the eyes and then buries it but I think the most annoying thing about the game is not that we bought the know, but it's like we've been so good defensively at home uh, the stat was I think first time we can see this is the second of January and we've scored 21 goals in 6 games with no reply yeah I didn't really know what happened in the second half I mean we we spoke about it before like we usually never turn up in the 1st five ten minutes of the second half but we
3: decided to just do it for the entire the half the entire, entire second half yeah it, mm. was like the, it was like the Fulham of the earlier on in this season mm. where you would put two banks of four against us and we couldn't get it out of our like past the right back or the left back and I think we were very guilty of taking way too much time on the ball and trying to get it out of defence, and uh, we were, as we said on the podcast and in, in the preview to this game, it was going to be a very tough game where the lines are going to be stretched, and ultimately they were, and we were so unorganised um, in terms of our structure that it was almost impossible for us to get out and obviously credit where credit's due to QPR they they pressed well they harried well and they were, they were very well organised in the second half Well the first half
2: I, I don't think I've seen a team sit deeper than probably Burton uh, towards the beginning of last season we just couldn't break them down and we we did struggle at times to to break down QPR but it kind of played us played into our hands somewhat we had a lot of the ball and we were able to find little gaps where there what where there apparently were none but in the second half I thought you know me and Ben also said at half time this actually playing into our hands the goal that you know QPR are now going to sniff a victory and uh, try and go all out to try and get that and make the game more open which does play into our hands but for I think QPR did press really really well and Um, And the pressure did count in the end.
0: But it was strange, though, because in that first half, I can't remember a Fulham game this season where a team hasn't tried to press us from the goal kick. Where we have looked vulnerable up until a point, I think recently, actually, Mm. we've been very good at uh, beating that press from the goal kick and playing it out the back well. But QPR just completely stood off us. And and I think the team looked a bit... Shocked, they didn't know really what to do with so much time at the back. They didn't know if to spray it long or keep doing little tippy tappy passes that they didn't really need to do because there was they were under no pressure to try and beat the press. Let's look at that first goal though from Kearney, it was really positive work from Piazzon. And then Kearney, it looked so easy. Shades of Danny Murphy v United for me, it felt like the exact same kind of goal where it didn't seem to have too much pace on it but it just caught Alex Smithies unaware and nice to see Kearney chipping in with a few goals now and hopefully he can continue that goal scoring touch into the playoffs
2: yeah the need slides are back and um, I think what from it i was a little bit disappointed he was lining up the shot as early as he was because he had options probably easier options but decided to take the shot on and thankfully it went in And that probably caught smithies a bit cold that he was going to shoot from that far away when he when the defense was um overloaded but it was, it was a fine finish in the end and the keeper would have done really well to save it and the second beautifully worked lovely run from freds and we
0: just know how dangerous fulham are if they get to the byline we're going to punish teams more often than not now because we've we've mastered the art of the pullback and actually very neat work in the box from Fulham. The, the little layoff from Ryan Sessegnon to have the awareness to see Lucas Piazon running in there is exceptional, and it just once again, Sess had a bit of a quiet game, but when Sess has the ball in the box it's his magic feet that do the talking, not necessarily his wild runs and tricks and flicks down the side. It's it's that composure in the box is what makes Sessignon such a bright talent.
3: Well, yeah, I think you nailed it there, so I can't really add much apart no. from the fact that Kevin Macdonald picks out a wonderful ball down the channel mm. even before that passage of play for Ryan Fredericks and he's sort of dilly dallies on it a little bit and he thought maybe he's held on for that, to that a little bit more there and they have pushed him out towards the side like towards the byline and he's a wonderful like ball down the channel in, into the path of Fredericks and um, it's a really well-constructed goal and a lot of, a lot of people have given on some flack and rightly so on Twitter and all other social media forms for being a little bit anonymous in that first half but if you think about it he has, he has an assist for the first he weighs in with a goal and I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was him that had the goal ruled out for offside in the first four or five minutes. Sessignon. Oh, it was Cessignon. Yeah. My, my apologies. Sorry. But he, he, um, although he did let a few passes go wayward, um, I thought his movement was pretty good, um, and he always seemed to find uh, space in areas where, like Farrell said, that where there wasn't many. But I think it wasn't up to his usual high standards in terms of his passing, and that's something that we look at now from all of our wingers: is is that distribution. But um, yeah, it's nice to see him weigh in with a goal and he's been largely uh, quite effective over the few games uh, MJG, who we all know and we all love on Twitter put out some um, stats earlier on Piazzon, I think, has started uh, seven games he's weighed in with three goals and four assists in those games wow. but um, he has tended to start uh, a couple of the games that ended up in draws um, and obviously a couple of those goals have come against Burton
0: Yes, of course, uh, uh, as Rui Font also can, can attest to as well Farrell, if if queen's Park rangers don't score that goal just before half time do you think fulham go on and win the game quite comfortably because it seems absolutely criminal everything that led up to it it was a cheap free kick conceded by fulham and to let matt smith win that header there's one man that ball is going to inside the box his name's matt smith you put three men on him surely it just seems so easy for him to tower up win that header and once he's knocked that down Good finish, bad finish from Luongo, I think is it, not the relevant debate here. It's the fact that he wins that header in the first place. And once he does, we're always in trouble.
2: Well, I mean, I mean Matt Smith and winning header shock, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, Matt Smith wins headers. Fair play to him. It, it was the ease that he had the space and time to be able to sort of pull it back. Um, and I mean, it was just a bit naive defending that there was no... Defender hanging back just in case it drops into that area, um, but to go back to the original question, yes, I do believe Fulham would go on and win the game comfortably, mainly because once they get a goal back, and Fulham started, especially starting the second half, became really nervous, like openly nervous and very dithery on the ball, and I think that that's that kind of nerves of Wigan actually lose the you know lose it here showed uh, it showed from the stands it showed. When particular players were on the ball, and we just weren't incisive enough, and we weren't confident enough to play it through the through the um through the midfield, especially the center because uh, quite a few times Kenny or McDonald were coming deep to get the ball and just weren't getting it um McDonald was doing what he usually does is is picking up deep and trying to play it out wide to Fredericks, but those kinds of balls just weren't happening it wasn't one and two touch passes anymore it was three four five touches on the ball and ultimately became our downfall
3: the thing that really sticks for me is that if you look at Tom Kearney's average position in the second half it's going to be where we expect McDonald to be if not deeper and that's just not what we need in that type of situation when you've got two banks of four pressed against you or a bank of five and a bank of four you need someone in there that's going to be able to create that link in between the midfield um, and the defence and that's normally Tom's role but he drops far far too deep Mm -hmm. there to be able to either force the issue in terms of passing or drifting between the lines like he normally does it also dropped far too deep to force any sort of speed and tempo with the ball because there's no gap or there's no link between both of those lines. Johansson is way too far up. McDonald is way too deep or almost to the side of him. The fullbacks aren't up far enough and when they are, they're being marked out of the game by the... the, the um, by the wide midfielders.
0: Well, Kevin MacDonald looked like a third centre-back, like exactly. a sweeper
3: almost at times. Exactly, which is why TC doesn't need to be there. I completely get why he's trying to do it. He's trying to find space and he's trying to draw midfielders out of that midfield, but they just simply weren't following him. Or if they were, Tom was facing the wrong way and he had to go back to Odoi. The That, that for me, is fundamentally why he's been taken off. Yeah. But I don't understand why he's replaced with Fonte and not with... A Norwood, for example. Mm. Well, let's come on to the substitution because that was that was my next
0: nice next question. You've nicely brought me onto it, Dom. What did Slav do wrong? I think it seems quite widely accepted that Font for Kearney was the wrong he substitution. He made three mistakes, bringing those three players on. Well, let, let's
1: go, let's go, let's go through. Uh, it let's start with Font coming on for Kearney. I, I'm, a, I, I'm a big fan of Font. I think. He's quite not underrated by and fans, but he gets a lot of slack for maybe he's actually just not suited to the way we play. He's a very technically gifted player. But I didn't understand when you're 2-1 up, where you need to bring on Rui Font and not Oliver Norwood. Oliver Norwood has proved this season that he's a very, very, not even a good school player, a good starting eleven player. At the very start of the year, he's probably one of our best players in that midfield. Because obviously Kearney was still out injured. Then moving on to the next one, which is... Would have been who came? Who was it who came on for what, on the right?
2: AIT or AIT.
1: So there, you don't. I wouldn't bring on either AIT a- or Ojo. I would have brought on Cyrus Christie at that point. What for Piazon? Yeah, okay. It, it's a more defensive option, but both of them can one, moving one, Frederick's up to right well, wing. Or? Both of them can swap around. I don't. I'm not, I wasn't really bothered who was playing it, but it's a more defensive option, and we couldn't keep control of the ball. And I don't think we needed an attacking player on at the point. Why Ojo and Aita get on the bench over Cabano, I do not know. Because I don't. uh, Ojo had his run of form. I know he's got the stats period when he's in the side, we, we get more points. But I didn't see anything that those two have offered this season that Cabano doesn't. If you look at the Barnsley game in particular away, Cabano
0: was phenomenal in that game. Well, certainly as an impact sub, he's Yeah, that's what I mean. As, perfect, an, as an impact
1: sub, I think he offers more than Aite or Ojo. They're probably better at starting. Cabano's dynamism when he comes on from the bench is something we just have missed, and I don't know why he's not in the squad. It just doesn't make sense to me.
2: I do feel that, essentially, the, the players coming off at the time that they did was probably the right move, but the players coming on... Oh, yeah, the players on... coming off, I had no, no issue with. Because yeah. Cessna
1: um, was amazing in the first half, but, in, but then in the second half, Furlong got onto him and was always closing him down. He didn't have much time on the ball. Whereas in the first half, he's him so much space yeah. and he was giving Furlong mm. absolute nightmares. I mean, both the four were So I think Bidwell was on the other side. Yeah, Bidwell And was. then that pass by Kevin McDonald for our second goal to Fredericks. There's two players on the outside of him running down. And I think they just. Colloy must have just given an absolute bollock in half time because they turned up in the second like a totally different side. But yet, yeah, the substitutions, I've no issues with the players going off. But I didn't understand the players coming on. Like Font. W-
3: I don't why? understand Font,
1: yeah. Um, Ojo and Aite, I don't really understand the need for. I just brought Sars Christie on. You didn't need to replace both wingers. I know to replace Essendon, he's put, because from burnout and stuff, because obviously he's going away with the under 21s as well. But yeah, it just, it just didn't make any sense. And yeah, I don't. I find it weird how Cabano's just not even I've, in the picture at the moment.
3: If it's me, and obviously it's not, I don't get paid to do any of this stuff like Ivanovic does, but I'm. I'm going to bring on another striker up there. You know, Mitrovic, is, every time he got the ball, he was countered by three or four of the QPR players. He can't, he couldn't make it stick. Just take one out from elsewhere, potentially in midfield or, or maybe even take off a winger and just go four four two, and just try and get AK up on top with him there and try and give that ball retention. Take, take some of the focus off Mitrovic. It's all well and good having him in there because he can link up play, but if he's been crowded out, you need to take some of the pressure off him. And this is where AK could have come in. Yeah, I, I, I thought think the his game was... would have taken some Sorry. pressure
2: off. I thought the game was absolutely primed for AK to come on. Really? I, yeah. I d- absolutely. The um, the game was beginning to be stretched. Mitrovic was looking quite leggy at that time, even though he kept on running and running. But it was at a much slower play- pace at the, from the start of the game, and I thought that. Um, that it was prime for AK to come on and exploit those gaps and sort of pr- try and put more pressure on their defenders. And what was quite odd, especially, especially when we were countering, and we did have, like, three or four really good opportunities on the counter we were so wasteful it was it was silly we were and I think Kearney was actually guilty of a lot of it especially the amount of times we we did get into space and he was turning sideways and trying to sort of dribble it out wide rather than take it forward when he had like 20-30 yards of space in front of him I can
3: only remember maybe twice the ball actually making its way out on the right hand side to Fredericks obviously this is where mm. we sit Farrell so we can sort of it sort of sticks out in the memory more but I can only remember Frederick's getting it in a decent position maybe once or twice in that second half. Mm. The outlet there that we normally have at fullback is com- was completely erased. And we didn't even I mean, work. I to think try and a get
1: lot back. of the a lot of the credit in the second half to the way we did play poor, but the way QPR's fullbacks mm. just suddenly became Gone from like Sean Kavanagh to Roberto Carlos and and, like Manalev to Cafu. Which way round is Sean Kavanagh or Roberto Carlos? But like, I think you have to give credit to to QPR for the second half performance because the way they closed down, and it's not exactly a surprise because in March, I think they've played the top four I don't know if, actually I don't think Derby are in the top four but they played Derby Villa us and Cardiff and one, two and drawn
2: two yeah I mean the weird thing is before then they were having they were on a terrible run of form oh yeah they would only won like were. one in 12 or something yeah. like that they also do seem to have something
0: about them beating us and yeah. getting good results against us. Yes, we well, you, won there. You could say that, but they've only won one of the last seven West Island derbies. Yes, but I just mean the last four games now. So there was Saturday 2-2. There was the game at Loftus Road where we very, very nearly threw it away, a bit like we did yeah. on, on Saturday. Then there was the 1-1 uh, where Chris Martin got a late equaliser. We mm-hmm. were poor that day we as well. Day. Yeah. And then, well I,
1: said, I said after that game, we are not getting playoffs. There's no chance this team can get playoffs
0: and then the game before that we all know about and it was the game at the cottage and we're not going to discuss it any further than that they're
3: yeah. suited to playing us because they—they they, all they want to do and all Holloway wants to do and that's all his teams do is just disrupt the other team's style Yeah, mm. if you but look at the game it when, when they played
1: Sunderland and they were playing Sunderland who had 10 men for most of the game yeah, they couldn't do anything because Sunderland aren't going to come out and attack them So, yeah, and to be fair, QPR have had very good form since the end of January. I mean, they're eighth in the... If you look at all results of the last nine, ten games, they are eighth in the table. And and if you and because it's typical, obviously you look at another teams who form very very well, like Derby
0: have only only won once since the end of January. The thing is though, substitutions aside, tactics aside, what can explain the falling apart of our passing game? There were simple simple yeah, in the, errors in, in, for in there. For me
1: in the second half, we were just way too passive with the ball. Yeah, way there was too no too passive dynamism. Passive there was no directness to our player. When I say direct, I don't mean Buddy lump but uproot one to Mitrović, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pace in the way you're you're moving the ball through the phases. We seem to just have the ball in the fence, keep for too long, pass it back to Benali because they're pressing us too much, and then we end up losing the ball. Like we couldn't really string more than three passes together. And for some reason, the our team became from one structured, cohesive unit into just separated sort
0: of parts of the pitch. I can understand sometimes that we can't always look like Barcelona because you know games happen like that. And but we couldn't stretch two passes together. Never mind Barcelona; it was more like Barrow. It was
3: terrible. It was you, for me it's the case of they were marking us essentially man for man and what you have to do to disrupt Fulham's style of play and the way we try and play is that you put space in between those lines like Dom says it went from a cohesive unit of Tom Kearney linking the midfield and the attack um, through running up and down the, the thirds to being Tom Kearney isolated no links between any of the lines and when we did try and play it out to full backs this was notice- noticeable from around about 75 minutes onwards when we are just knocking it around the back for no problem and then Bettinelli would try and lump it over the top of one of the attackers into Fredericks and Fredericks had nothing on the inside to pass to he couldn't go up the line because there was Piazon wasn't offering anything He's just isolated football. And yeah. it's all a credit to QPR. They pressed us, harried us, and they were all so well organised that we couldn't get out yeah. of the situations we were putting ourselves in. And ultimately, that led to our downfall with Verdoy
1: Yeah, a, p- a point I'd probably bring up is if you're looking at Djokanovic and the way he sort of set out in the second half, there was an article actually in the the weekend pullout of the Times today about everyone calling M- Mourinho um, a pragmatist, but actually, Guardiola's the biggest pragmatist because mm. he plays to win. And I think Djokanovic he's get he, he has the same sort of concept but he doesn't he doesn't adapt his shape. To win the game, whereas someone like Guardiola, who's obviously a much better manager, is best manager in world football at the moment, and it and it, but he doesn't he doesn't adapt his system to then the game's current situation. It was working in the first half, but it's not working in the second half. So you clearly see something in the team shape needs to change. Whether that's changing to a four four two with more, maybe more defensive wingers and then get, and then sort of doing a lot overlapping down at wide. Because I didn't understand why we're playing the ball so centrally. We just seemed to keep the ball in the middle of the park, in the middle of the fence, and weren't trying to do any any form of overlapping. I know it's like we were getting pressed very high, but I, I think he was. Yeah, I think he was quite stubborn actually, Kukavich. He could have changed it, and it reminded me of early in the season.
2: <laughs> it doesn't sound like Kukavich being stubborn at all. Yeah. <laughs> Shock horror! Right.
0: All right, well, we need to come on to the key moment in the game, and it, it was horrible to see Adoy's slip if for want of a better word, for QPR second. It was an unfortunate instance, uh, very well finished by Wolek, Walsh, Walshek? Walshek. I can't. Walshek. Walshek. Sorry, I know that I should be more professional and learn how to pronounce his name, but I can't be sure. Uh, I do feel for Dennis, though, because he's brilli- been brilliant all season when he's covered for Callas, but he was finding things difficult in that second half, and... Obviously, that is what the game is going to be remembered for on Saturday.
2: Yeah, unfortunately for Odoi, I mean, he was pretty good for the, the first hour. And then leading up to the inevitable equaliser, um, it was a culmination of little mistakes that turned into a huge one. There was an, I remember there was one easy header um, that he was supposed to play away with not much pressure on him, and it just sailed right over his head and fell to one of their strikers and we'd already just made our three subs and there was a couple of other mistakes after that and I was like, oh, God, it's going to, it's going to happen. Yeah. It is going to, and unfortunately it did.
0: It had, I've, I've referenced back to a few past footballing games, but it it had all of the reminiscence of Gerard. No,
2: don't mention it, that it, one. It, it
0: did, though. It, I mean, everything about it, from the slip to the way it was him through and even the finish was almost exactly identical as well. And I guess it's just the desperation from us in the stands. I knew I knew it was, As soon as it, he rubbed the ball, I knew this was going, only going in one yeah, place. Yeah, I,
3: I sat there in a Johnny Haynes stand and I saw him lose the ball and I just sat back in my chair. I couldn't even look. All I, I knew the goal went in because of the crowd and after, I, didn't even bear, I couldn't even bear to look at the replay. I couldn't bear to look at the pitch. You, you could, as Farrell said, you could just tell it was coming. There were... There are little things that Adoy was doing, where it just screamed of complacency, and in a game like that, you can't afford to be complacent, especially with someone pressing you as high as QPR were. And if it wasn't, in my opinion, if it wasn't Adoy, it was going to be one of T C or um, yeah. Ream because they were doing it a lot. This point where they would allow the attackers to come onto them and then try and crook turn their way out of it yeah. when they're the last person it happened a few times and I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier what
2: was what's I'm try, I was trying to think while you were talking Ben and I think that's the first proper like mistake that we've seen that's led to a a goal against us in quite a long time which is I mean in a weird way it's 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 nice to have that kind of stat that unfortunately mistakes happen and, and whatnot but this is the first time I can think of for a long time where that has happened and I think that's that some maybe that's credit to the team itself that yeah, we don't def- have to talk about mistakes
0: yeah definitely a direct mistake I mean because there's so few goals that we've conceded it's quite yeah. nice to think but you think like Bolton Lafondra scored a wonder goal mm. Derby it wasn't really it was kind of Dodgy free kick that just kind of fell nicely to Huddleston. Mm. Bristol City was maybe weak defending, but not a mistake. So, yeah, I think actually you do seem to have a fair point. We haven't made too many mistakes. An interesting point, and I don't know if people were reading too much into this, but the pitch was obviously heavy on Saturday. It was snowing overnight. There'd been a lot of rain. It was a horrible day, to be honest, mm. uh, in southwest London. It's only just about uh, starting to warm up a little bit in this part of the world. But they watered the pitch really heavily at half-time at the cottage on Saturday. And some people wondered if that had a negative impact on our play, slowing up the ball. I don't know, maybe if people are reading too much into it. But actually, when you think about it logically, it is a bit surprising. I know you people want it to zip off the surface, but it was it was only ever going to make the pitch kind of sodden.
3: Well, yeah, I think I agree with that. You know, there, there becomes a point where the the pitch is almost too wet yeah. and it slows the ball down it starts to have not standing water but an amount of water on there where the ball sort of feels some sort of resistance yeah and i feel like that could have been the case but it shouldn't have been that much of a factor if anything it's probably the complacency that's a that's the main factor rather than the, the pitch being watered
0: yeah and the other thing i wanted to kind of pick up on a similar vibe was how I wonder if Fulham fans are a little bit quick to start singing stuff like Queens Park Rangers. It's happened again mm. at two nil, and we very nearly threw it away at Loftus Road, and ultimately we did. I know that the, what the impact do the fans really have in terms of marginal things like that. But I remember at the time thinking, "We've been great here," and there's still forty-five minutes to go. I remember just going, Ehh. "I still joined in," but
2: there's <laughs> <laughs> there's that. There's that uh, um, runaway chant which I will not join in ever unless we're actually promoted oh come on mm even though I think we're still going to win the league. Do you not uh, say we're by far actually... the greatest team the world has ever seen? Well, that's an actual fact.
0: Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I'll do that one, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, there's still loads more to discuss. Uh, playoff and promotion race, uh, and we'll be answering all your questions as well in just a second.
1: Hello, I am Breda Hangerland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Ben Jarman. Hello. Fowl Monk. Hola. And Dom Betts. Hello, hello. How are you all doing?
3: Smashing. As good as I was in the first half, mate. Oh, well, that's good
0: to know things haven't changed in the uh, first half now. And we had to discuss some pretty hard-hitting topics, Ben, so I'm glad to know that things are still all well with you. <laughs> well, we'll be
2: Fulham in the first half and QPR in the second.
0: Oh, there we go, so switch off now. <laughs> um, just to say, there is no Fulhamish extra this week. It's the international break coming up. And also, I don't think there's going to be a Fulhamish next Monday. And I, I hate to break it to you, but I think we're just gonna take a little bit of a break. Uh, as it's the international break, there's no games to discuss anyway. But sometimes we do the phone in, but I don't have the equipment to do a phone in right now. Um unless I'm your phone.
2: Sorry? Where's your phone? Yeah, it's dead mate. Oh, OK.
0: No, we don't have uh, good enough equipment to do it properly. So I think we're just going to take a week's break, uh, especially with the playoffs looking more and more likely. It's going to be a long couple of months. We want to do loads and loads of good stuff over those couple of months. So probably better to take a couple of weeks now and then we'll be fighting fit for the run-in.
2: Yeah, we'll do a few extra. We'll save a few extra for the playoffs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I imagine, we'll, we'll, you know, last year we went quite big during the playoffs. So I think we want to go even bigger and get loads of stuff out during the playoffs. So maybe a couple of weeks for us to batten down the hatches, get some good preparation in, and then we'll be fighting fit for lots more issues coming up. Anyway, boring stuff. Uh, let's talk about the playoffs and the potential promotion race. Hard to gauge the impact of Saturday's draw because Derby and Cardiff's game on Saturday was called off. Have you seen what Warnock said about this?
3: Yeah, but have you also just seen their COO has released a statement regarding uh, the fact that the game was actually called off? It's the case that they just well the just... Cardiff COO. Yeah. Well, that Cardiff think that Derby have
0: somehow deliberately manipulated the situation to try and call cool off the game because Car- uh, Derby uh, had lots of injuries and obviously Cardiff were banging well, form and thought it that... was
1: clearly worse two weeks ago when we played them or however long ago it was now. Yeah, it was clearly a lot lot worse that day. And that day, it wasn't. It walking to the ground wasn't an issue really if I remember correctly I didn't have any issues getting to the ground and I was
0: although it, it, it hadn't snowed on that day had it up in Derby when we no, played but it no it was definitely a lot it was still a lot, a lot of and, snow
1: but then also the argument is that maybe our game shouldn't have gone ahead yeah and, that, and so both therefore should be postponed but then I, it is a how it wasn't it was what called off two minutes two hours before kick-off that's a bit crap for
0: Cardiff fans you do yeah because Cardiff
1: Ford fans that. probably would have wanted to get there like an hour or two before kick-off first anyway they're coming from Cardiff so they probably jumped on the first train on a Sunday or dr- started driving down and then it doesn't help that Derby had about 10 fit senior players oh well,
3: this statement says uh, that CEO Ken Chu Uh, has contacted the EFL in regards to the postponement of Sunday's fixture against Derby County. Um, He wants to know why the game was postponed and how the decision was reached. And then he says that he can understand why the fans are frustrated uh, at being called off at such short notice. One thing I did find actually quite funny is that Greg Halford tweeted out about oh, that was, that the, was so the fact funny. that oh, I can't believe the game's called off there's no snow anywhere and then his car got caught in snow on the way home <laughs> no, and no. pushed down the motorway by Cardiff fans. No, no, but, but I
1: mean the EFL have come out today and it says it's going to look into the performance of the game.
0: Mm, okay. um, well, uh, it means that really we can't tell how much of an impact that draw was going to have. I think to be honest had Cardiff gone on and be derby. I'm not saying the game's never going ahead. I don't know when it's being rearranged for, but 10 points now with eight games remaining would be a very, very, very tough. Yeah, the, the
1: postponement's not helped us, but I mean, it's just they've got, just got a ridiculous amount of fixer congestion in, in the next like month or two now. Mm. Which could potentially be Helpful. And considering how many good teams they're playing, they've still got to play Villa, still got to play Wolves, still got to play Derby, and still got to play Sheffield United.
2: Mm. Well, we said at the time about um, before our run of fixtures um, would take like the the real ones um, against the top eight teams that we had. That we were on such a good run of form, and I think we'd just beaten Villa or Wolves, and we we're all like singing the praises. And it's uh, you know quite rightly we were all up going for it, going like let's let's go let's do this, let's do this. But it, uh, we said at the time that it only takes one result to make it all flat again a little bit. And the same is the same is true of Cardiff. It only takes that one result to sort of make it flat. Mm. I mean look at Derby. They had they probably had it probably was when we beat them and they have they I don't think they've won a game since.
0: Well they hadn't really won many games before that, but you yeah, know, they've been on a terrible run of form Derby I mean, it doesn't take lots to you know, fall apart, and you're kind of seeing that with, with Villa, they've lost two games consecutively. Mm. They would definitely have looked at QPR at home and bolting away mm. as, as six points, well, six if, if, if not if we four. Talk, if
1: we talk about Derby, if we, from the end of January, they've won one game,
0: yeah. I
1: mean, they've been on a terrible they've table. only lost mm. two, but they've only won one game. They're seven, they're 17th in the form table from the end of January, and I mean, if, there's teams like, like, if but then we th- I think, we're-, we're third in that form table yeah. from the end of January. Wait, third? Yeah, in the last nine games, we've won six, drawn three. So, so who's between us and Cardiff? Millwall, Millwall are top. Millwall are uh, higher than Fulham. Yeah, they've won seven and drawn two. We've won six, drawn three. They've only conceded four goals in those nine games as well.
3: They've won six on the bounce away from home. God. I and we still have and to they, play them before that they had, they had only oh. won one away from home and then they've won the last six on the bounce okay they're actually in touching distance of the playoffs now no I think yes. that thing is a very that, that, very real possibility that game at the den should they beat the next two opponents becomes a very big game for Millwall because they'll be we're either in the playoffs or in very much in touching distance yeah the and playoffs. obviously
1: they gained two points on Middlesbrough in the weekend after they drew Brentford
3: yeah
0: is it now time though to apart from obviously there is a lofty ambition that second could be reached is it kind of time now to be looking at those other teams in the playoffs realistically and then say that okay yeah the, the automatic, you can keep winning your games and you never know with the automatics but realistically we just need to be looking at securing third and fourth now and making sure we have a second leg at home
2: well, that is the realistic aim, but I don't think we should give up the fight that easily. Um, we know what this Fulham team are capable of, and we know stranger things have happened in the Championship. Um, so, I still think it's all to play for. I think maybe in the next two or three games, we will become far clearer. I yeah,
1: think. but it's always like when you I don't know when you when you do an exam, you want to aim for an A, and then if you get a B, you're happy mm. yeah. instead of aiming for the B and then.
3: You
2: never speak, had a chance yeah. to speak for out.
3: yourself. I'm going for the D's. I, for once, I think I, I disagree with Farrell. I, I think if we had a drop, if we had picked up the two additional points from this weekend, I think uh, the task wouldn't have been insurmountable for some reason. Uh, but for now, I feel like those drop points and obviously Villa dropping points as well. I don't think I don't think either of us are going to match Cardiff unless Cardiff. I know Cardiff have got some very difficult games, but they seem to be beating everyone. Um, or just grinding out results against everyone at the minute. I can't really see Wolves losing it either. No. I do think we're going to have to settle for playoffs now, but that's... that's It's still an an incredible incredible achievement
0: considering where we were back in uh, early November, you know, 17th to either 3rd or 4th, if it is that, it's still brilliant. We still need to keep winning games because especially with some of those other teams who are bang on form. Fulham came very, very close to not just getting sixth last season, we're only a few points off getting... Uh, sure. fifth and even uh, potentially fourth last season we, 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 were, we could have done it we could have potentially eclipsed Huddersfield had we just won a few more games so it's not beyond the realms of possibility if Fulham fell apart that okay I'd, I'd like to think that the playoffs are getting more and more secure but we could fall into that fifth and sixth places and we know how difficult last season it is when you have to face that second leg away from home so f- fingers crossed we can keep on getting the results well, as, the as, as I break. mentioned
1: if they, keep, if they keep aiming for the top two that won't happen but if they if they're now just cons- about consolidating playoffs, I think that's more likely to happen from a yeah. mental aspect. So if you just aim as high as possible, then you're not you're going to be always thinking about the win, not oh we can get away with a draw here. I think that's
0: what we need to do. If you saw uh, the news today that Millwall game uh, on the which was scheduled to be on the 21st of April is now moved to Friday night, I'm happy about that. Yeah, that's going to be quite a good atmosphere. Tasty. <laughs>
2: it's not too far from here. No, it's not. We're yeah.
1: in we're in Southwark at the moment. Yeah, you can walk. We well, can walk to London Bridge in ten minutes and get a train from there. Or just walk to the ground floor. Yeah, we can, we can probably walk in less than half an hour.
2: oh ah, I'm excited. Hand in hand.
1: Yeah,
0: it's gonna be a tasty atmosphere down the den. Have you been? No, last one I got kicked out. So hopefully this one ends better. <laughs> <laughs> is going to bring his baseball bat.
1: Right, um, (laughs) let's get some questions in. Don, what's coming? The first question is coming from Jack Copeland, who says, over the last 10 games, Fulham have achieved 26 out of a possible 30 points. Despite this, over the same period, we have gained only one point on Villa and three points on Cardiff. However, we've gained nine points on Wolves. Rep this form over the last 10 games of the season would see us on 91 points, which usually is enough to go up. Given these stats, do we actually have more hope of catching Wolves than we do Cardiff? Is it unrealistic for Cardiff and Villa to also potentially maintain this level of form? Literally only one loss, us beating Villa, between the three clubs over the last 10 game weeks or 30-odd games. I think Wolves' win pretty much guarantees them promotion
0: on the weekend. What was that, who was that against again? Burton. Oh, yeah. And it was... I just can't see Wolves not doing it. Come no, on. I mean,
2: They've got Ruben Neves back yeah, now. Yeah, I just...
0: I,
1: we're on great form but we've just it's just been unlucky all the other teams have been on great form as well like Cardiff are unbeaten in the last 10 games we're unbeaten in the last 10 games Villa were only were basically unbeaten until we played them and they've gone off the rails pretty much since then I think I think this seems just going to a bit of an anomaly where that usual it's, which is the 91 points which is typically enough to go up it won't be typically enough to go up because Cardiff although they do they play probably the most horrific football I know they haven't dominated possession in one game this year I don't know when the last game they did dominate a game in possession but then they're proving they're just good it's like when you have that tactic on football manager and it just gets
0: results being 20% possession Well you say that it's quite interesting because up until maybe the last few weeks this season had become pretty much a one horse race and then there was just the best of the rest and it seemed like there was going to be a team in second that would get there and at one point i thought it was going to be with like a record low i thought it would maybe take 82 83 points to get to second because just no one was taking a charge for second no one was getting anywhere near wolves because no one was putting the kind of runs together that now ourselves villa and cardiff all have put together and now it look it's now looking like it is going to take the magic kind of 90 points to get automatic promotion so it's been it's been a funny one how in one sense it looked like it wasn't going to be a real race for promotion and then it's ended up being one yeah Yeah.
3: that's (laughs) something
1: the next question is quite an interesting question from tomo sullivan he was like who do you think our best youth prospects aside from the obvious cessnions and matthew O'Reilly are um Theo Edding comes to mind, uh that Francois in the youth team. Yeah, he was very impressive against Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's the... and he's obviously playing a lot a lot above his sort of his age.
0: Ashby Hammond, a uh, young goalkeeper uh for Fulham, he was he's been very good all season. He's uh, did an incredible penalty save and I forget against exactly who earlier in the season for for the youth team and although he didn't have he did. The only thing he really had the chance to do against Chelsea was to pick the ball out the next six times. Um, he has been very, very
3: good.
1: Um, one you could look out for is Elijah Adebayo.
3: Yeah. There's a, there's a guy that plays for, I think it's the under 18s. He's 15 or 16 years old and his last name is Carvajal. Um, I know Frankie, who comes on this pod, is mm. a very big fan of him and has earmarked him for the future. Obviously, there's a couple of centre backs, or uh, well, one in particular, Aaron Davis, is. Uh, looks very assured every time i see him play and he looks like he could make this jump um he's getting on a little bit in terms of being a prospect i think he's 18 19 years old now um i would have thought if he would have been at that stage he may have gone out on loan somewhere but he hasn't as yet um but yeah edon edon's a good one luca della torre luca della torre still here i think these they like edon and, and as De La torre. Well,
1: i'm surprised they didn't go out on loan in january to be perfectly honest
3: yeah, me too.
1: Because they clearly weren't going to get into our main. Well, especially team. with
0: this work thing that Slav's done where he's tried to build a tight knit of 18, 19, and it's quite obvious. I mean, if Cabano's not in it, then I mean, is not going to be getting no, anywhere exactly. close. That, yeah, as you're saying, he you might as well ship him out. Maybe they couldn't find a suitable club. Yeah. I'm sure they would be. I, th- been I think
1: it. I saw a, a link earlier, maybe it was last week, that Taylor Biden was linked to a loan move in the MLS season to New England Revolution.
0: Okay. Can. um. We still loan players out, to club, or is there just is it final? Can lower league teams?
1: There's
2: usually some sort of loan deadline, but that tends to kind of change season when, by season. Because we, we signed
1: Richard M- Lee on loan from was it Brentford? Yeah,
2: that most point the
0: pointless loan. Which... I met Richard the other day. Lovely yeah
1: pick. Oh no, yeah, he came in the office. He's a very nice guy. Also, I don't, I don't, he's probably not a prospect, but Jerome Poku because he's just got the greatest shot of all time.
3: <laughs> There's two that we haven't really mentioned. First one, Stevie Humphreys. Yeah, he's, well... he's still very much our player. Yeah, although potentially one of. The the biggest idiots I've ever come across Um, and then the second one is keeper that's starting to make his way into the matchday squads now is Magnus Norman yes and of course we've got Rodak still out on loan Um, you're forgetting Cully Woodrow George Williams uh, uh, club legends nah spin them off um, but yeah, you say Stevie freeze and I don't think we really touched
0: on it on the podcast, but as a very, very well-taken goal Good against course. Spurs at Wembley, and the amount that that will do for his confidence, to get a goal at Wembley like that on the telly, on the BBC, uh, will, will, will have done wonders. I don't really exactly know how well he's done for Rochdale uh, in terms of the league, and maybe Dom uh, can have a quick tap away on his laptop to find out, but that that would have done wonders.
2: I was actually in attendance uh for that game as a secret Spurs fan. I was actually as a Rochdale fan definitely supporting Stephen Humphreys. Right yeah. And it was a well taken goal and he was actually largely impressive for that game um against a full strength Spurs team and um yeah he 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 was very hard working I don't know whether it was the occasion but it was pleasing to see that in a big game like that he turned on his performance considering the only other time that we've seen him was against Brighton uh, last season oh, and it he was, was too soon it was just too soon so you know it kind of shows that these loans are yeah, well, good you, thing for I these mean, players he's,
1: he's clearly performing well but he's only scored two goals ok so um, although that's, that's his what... goal on the weekend was a very good finish ok but Humphreys, he's just going to be a League One championship player. He's just going to be the next Corley Woodrow for me. Mm, I don't... feel like
0: he's got a bit more about him than a Corley, but, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to tell.
1: You never... You, you... Look at Harry Kane. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't good in any of his... He, was, he wasn't, like, amazing in any of his loan
0: spells. No. And then he just suddenly turned it on and found a, a method for him that personally clicked. And he obviously worked very hard on his personal development. That's where it would be interesting for Stevie Humphreys. Has he got that mentality... To work as hard as someone like Harry Kane to develop his game, and because you can see from that performance against Spurs that he's got some natural ability, but you know, Kane's got a living chef, stays latest in training. Is Stevie Humphreys doing that? I'm not so sure he is. The one thing I did like about when uh, Humphreys played Spurs is that I think Fulham took someone down there from the uh, comms department and uh, had someone on their Instagram stories doing a little Stevie Humphreys watch which I thought was quite nice that the club were making an effort to go to the stadium and, you know, put some stuff up about a lone player and making it aware. I just thought it was quite a nice little touch from the club. Uh, Any more questions, Dom? Why does Ojo look
1: so ineffective? This is from Stuart Roberts. He clearly has talent but seems to play so much within himself. I wonder if it's nerves... No, he's just not very good. Um... (laughs) (laughs) No, um, Ojo, he has games, but then he... That he plays really well in, but then he literally will just disappear in other games. Like, I don't, I don't know if he works as a sub. I don't know if he works as an impact sub. No. I, I, think if he's going to play, he needs to start. And if he's not starting, he shouldn't come on the pitch. If he's not going to start, don't put him in squad.
3: Put Cabano in the squad. Yeah. Why
0: do you think he only works as a starter?
3: I don't know. I think personally, if uh, personally for me, I think he works. I think there's two reasons as to why he works as a sub. Firstly, because. He's still quite young and it takes him some time to feel the, the nature of the game. And secondly, the fact that I think it's a wider point in football is that a lot of younger players are over-coached at such a young age not to take too many risks.
1: Uh-huh.
3: And that's why it it feels and looks like Ojo's playing within himself or is slightly nervous because he doesn't want to give the ball away in a dangerous area. At the same time, he doesn't really want to take on a man in case, yeah, like we say, he gives the ball away. And I think it's just a case of you can be overcoached as a youngster, and it sort of takes away the risk taking that you normally would do if you were playing like street football at an 18 year old or a 19 year old. I think that could be why Ojo looks a little bit reserved. And maybe on better
0: pitch. to be starting off and, yeah, as you say, work your way into yeah. a game. But if you're coming on as a substitute, you need to take risks because the whole point is you're coming on with fresh so sure legs. Game. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not going to try and beat that man do that little flick and just keep playing it safe and passing it backwards you might as well keep the player that was on there that's exactly. run out of legs on because that's what he'd do
2: Yeah, Ryan Giggs actually um, said that the overcoaching can be a bit of a problem because he said that in his early days at, at Man United that um, he, he was being told to you know take less risks and do more for the team which he said probably stifled a lot of his creativity down the years but obviously was grateful for the fact that he was winning trophies left right and center
0: you know what it's like though don't you you went especially if you kind of come on to a football game and you you you're playing as a substitute and it's it's already in action and then you, your first touch of the ball always feels it's quite difficult, isn't it? And it if you make a mistake,
3: how are you going to play for the rest? Yeah, of the and if you and make
0: then. a mistake then, then the rest of the team are like, oh, and you're not into the pace of the game, and before you know it, you're thinking, well, I'm not going to try and do anything other than just make sure I find a teammate at all costs for this next pass because I don't want the crowd to get on my back, and
3: maybe that is what Ojo is experiencing. Right? Well, Farrell makes a great point in that overcoaching is is a is a is definitely a thing in football, but I think what we have to realise is that football is a collective game, but it also relies on individual. Expertise and, and flair and um, some sort of incisiveness, and if Ojo can't come on and give that immediately when he's required as a substitute, what is the point in playing him when you've got Cabano on there who has that dynamism in you, those in those tight areas? Well, you would, the, the one thing that does annoy me about it when just looking at Saturday
2: that Ojo came on and you want to play like that, especially a, a big, tall, pacey winger like that, to make an impact and at least put some effort in but it just seemed like he came on and it was a bit of a whimper. I don't think I saw him even put, try and put a tackle in, let alone at least attempt a track back.
3: I mean, if we're going to give um, Ojo some stick for, for that for that substitute performance, and we have to give it to Aita. I think the only tackle I saw him make was on Ryan Sessionjohn on the edge of the box, <laughs> so uh, he shouldn't escape much criticism. Mm.
0: All right, well, I think that's um, all we've got time for. Is there, any one, is there a quick question we can answer? Um, it's, it's a
1: question, but I want to put my own sort of twist on the end of it. Well, it's about on. short corners, which I don't want to talk about. Okay, but he, he he mentions every all teams know we're going to go short now, and it goes back to what Slavisa said in his press conference that um, we didn't try to change the style, um, and, he, and, he, and he said, but the solution cannot be to change the style, and we didn't try to do that. That makes no sense to me. Surely, if you you know your the system you're playing is not working, you change it. That, that I don't understand why you said that.
2: Well, I think that the 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 squad itself has become so good and so drilled into a particular system that to change it to something else would be so ineffective, perhaps. And it's quite interesting with the short corners that we did after a while, we did try and put the ball in the box. Like, I think the last three or four corners, it was just straight into the box. But we didn't even look for the short. One player went short, but usually when Fulham do go short, there's two at least two players supporting the man on the corner, but only one was doing it after a while. And I think
3: that's pl- probably down to the substitutions. They came on and they didn't really know their role. First half, Fulham were putting in some, some short corners, but it wasn't in the way we normally see it when we at least give the, the player that's come short some sort of space to get a ball delivered in it was literally the ball would roll out of the d and then target or Piazon would put it in first time Mm -hmm. Piazon in particular was absolutely woeful with his um deliveries into the box i don't think any of them cleared the first man and it went into the second half as well um i think we do short corners because it, it it pulls people out of the box and gives us more space but you can't really do that if you know three of our tallest players are Reem Mitrovic and Adoy, like we're not going to win anything in the air against Lynch, um, Matt Smith, and uh, Anua, it's just really difficult. So, um, I don't think we could have really changed it there. I've said it before; I will say it again. Short corners give us more shot like conversion rate anyway. But I get the frustration completely. Who uh, sent that question,
0: Dom? Just to that give, them, the, give them a nod. from Jordan Harrison. Cheers, Jordan. Right, well, make sure you send your questions in uh, for the next podcast, which, as I mentioned, won't be for a little while. We will do an extra one, a preview of the Norwich City game. Uh, I've got Jack Reeve, who you may know uh, from the Talk Norwich City YouTube channel, uh, which is quite a well-known account. He's going to come on and chat about all things Norwich as there's uh, two games over Easter weekend. We play Norwich on Good Friday and then Leeds United, dirty Leeds. Uh, on the Tuesday after Easter Monday we so, can't be really seeing
1: that they're falling apart now because they've really just already just they're already f- on I I think pieces they're in, on I the think floor Leeds no, well, yeah, I mean, are in mid-table again no, well yeah technically <laughs> Leeds I are mean, in
3: mid-table again but like yeah, doesn't really have the same no, I think the um,
1: the form, 12, that, as a, the for form since the end of the transfer window they're in the bottom three it's only Reading and Sunderland below them who haven't won a game and in, I don't want to make this the bloody Leeds podcast but like they, what, the sack of the manager just makes no sense
0: and you're wearing yellow and uh, white as well.
1: Yeah, that's my skin
0: colour. Cl- Closet
1: together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Closet Leeds fan <laughs> with that kind of comment ending the podcast. Well, uh, we need to name uh, today's podcast, so on that duty is uh, Ben Jarman. Ben, what are you going for?
3: Well, uh, there's an honourable mention from Don Betts behind the scenes, which was Pooh PR, <laughs> but um, I don't think we're going to put that one out there. Um, I think we're going to go for Oh
0: Dear adoy. It was a very good three word review and uh, well worthy of getting what, the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> is that your three word review? Probably, yeah. Uh, just forgotten what you did with Paddy's weekend, wasn't it? Uh, right, well, thank you very much for listening today. As I mentioned, Fulhamish should be back uh, in about 10 days or so. Hopefully, you find some other podcast to fill your boots in the meantime. Uh, to Farrell Monk, thank you very much for today. Thank you. Don Betts, thank you very much on the questions. All right. And Ben Jarman, thank you. Cheers, Sam. All no right, we will see you very soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. Mate, it's fooders. Cheerio. Can you name the pod, by the way? Oh, God. Gonna... You've, got there,
3: so. You've got time. you got time. Poopy PR. It was better. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, then. <laughs> po- Poop PR it is. <laughs> How do you spell that? Poo. Poo. P O O. Yeah, no, but then do you do P-O Q no, P R Q
0: O O. P- Double E. Do you do P double Do you do P E or do you just put P? <laughs> um... <laughs>